It's early November and most gardeners have packed up their garden for the winter time. But at Longleaf Breeze, we don't ever shut down. We're operating year-round. Welcome to Longleaf Breeze, subsistence farmers using three simple principles, approaching but never reaching subsistence. It's got to be fun while we're doing it, and we don't make all misstatements. And now, Lee and Amanda Borden. Thanks, Adrian, and welcome to our podcast of November 7, 2013. Our theme today will be taking a look at the Four Seasons Garden concept, or at least what we're attempting to do, which is to say our garden never closes. We're always trying to harvest something fresh year-round. Well, it's more than an attempt. We know it works. So We've far we're it. doing it, yes, but I mean, and not on a huge scale, but on a, on a small enough scale that for two people to eat, and we certainly could expand that if we need to. And share it with other people as well. And you had a dear friend of yours just uh, a day or two ago ask you, can you really do gardening year-round? Uh, and we realize, well, not everybody knows what we're doing here, so maybe we ought to describe how it works and what's doing well for us and what's not doing so well. That's right. So. I mean, for, for most people, a spring and summer garden, that's a no-brainer. In fact, you were saying earlier in your introductory statement that uh, a lot of people have packed up their garden and have quit for the year uh, because the, the average gardener thinks about, oh, yes, springtime, summer, I have the full bounty, and many of them are producing a whole lot more food than we are, and they're canning, and they're freezing, and drying, and preserving their food on a much larger scale than we're trying to do, um, and I will acknowledge that, but the fact of the matter is, I am much happier making it year-round and participating in fall gardening, because I'll never forget when we took our Master Gardener course, Danny Carroll saying, let me tell you about fall gardening. Wouldn't you rather be out there when the weather's nice and pleasant in the fall gardening than in the summertime? And, I, you know, yes, I've taken that to heart. So um, we've, for several of the past, I'd say, three or four years, we've really embraced the concept of the fall garden. So, but we don't stop with fall. And it begins by extending the season for the heat loving Yes, veg. yes. I sort of um, got away from following that train of thought because I'm really so passionate about fall gardening and I just had to say that. But yes, let's talk about what we're allowing to linger from the summer. Um, again, some people I think get discouraged with all the bugs and all the things that happen in the, you know, after you've had two or three generations of stink bugs or and more. And we feel your pain. We feel your pain. We have those same issues. And we've talked about that the past couple of weeks with stink bugs and kudzu bugs and the like. Um, but the fact of the matter is, if you can keep it going long enough, the cold diminishes those the populations of those insects. And we actually have had a freeze here on our farm. So um, even though I've still seen some kudzu bugs out there, not, I'm not seeing nearly as many. Same with, with stink bugs. Um, and so I'm still getting some lingering production from this, the summer vegetables. We've got, I'm still finding one or two tomatoes. The peppers are going gangbusters. They look great. Beautiful, beautiful peppers and some squash, butternut squash. Yeah, some spaghetti squash looking good. And a couple of pumpkins that are looking good. And, and you just took down the okra two or three days ago, and um, I guess we could have let it go a little longer. Well, 
we ate our last two okra pods the night before last. And yes, if I had planted a whole lot more okra this past year, and you know, we could have had a full meal of okra one last time in November. I took the plants down because they were really not producing very much. They still had a couple of blossoms on them. And that is after we had one night of 32 degree weather, but we didn't do anything to protect the okra. So it didn't kill the plants. And it is yeah. possible that I could have let them go longer, but they just weren't keep, they weren't earning their keep anymore. Yeah. And, and, you know, okra loves the heat. That's really, we've talked before about the exactly. okra doldrums when everything in the garden looks like it's shut down in that hard, hardcore heat of the summer. Um, but the okra, <laughs> the okra is still just having the time of its life when everything else is in virtual suspended animation. So you would expect as the weather cools down, even though it's not freezing, okra slows down and it's, it's just not happy after things cool down. One thing that's been um, kind of fun out there too in the garden is that I'm still getting field peas. I'm getting peas like I planted some black eye a purple hull and some um, red ripper peas. And the red and the um, black eye peas are still going pretty strongly out there. Again, after suffering through aphids, stink bugs, those are gone now virtually. Yeah. And I just, I'm getting some good peas. I also have lima beans and some green beans. And you just went into the ground with garlic. Yes, and now it's probably time. We've talked in the past about planting brassicas, and we may say some more because I'm continuing to try that. But um, this, I plant soft neck garlic, so I usually go with a November planting. You can do it October, November, either one. But just because of my schedule more than anything, um, planted it. This past couple of, over the course of two or three days, just because I had some several projects going on, and I planted an entire bed full. So uh, we'll see what comes up. We, we will be harvesting, we hope, if everything's on schedule, in June or so. And we're, we would be planting onions, but we just can't get onion yeah. sets for some reason. And that's, that's a real issue, and it's, it's teaching me something. Uh, we know that in this region of the country, short-day varieties work better than long-day. But um, I've been to my favorite place to buy onions, which is Farmer's Feed in Wetumpka, and they are not able to get the onions. They have not had the... Um, the, the proper delivery, yeah, the little man that brings them. I wish I knew who the guy was. I'd certainly give him credit. Who last year sold them some really good sweet onions from Georgia that were short day and they were the best. It was the best outcome I've ever had with onions because they made nice, huge, you know, bulbs, and it was uh, it's as good as anything I've ever seen in a grocery store. But what we're seeing around here instead are a lot of long day onions. Um, this is very much hearsay, but I'm just, or second, third hand, but what one of the people at um, one of the places where I shopped, I can't remember whether that was at Farmer's Feed or not, said that a Bonnie Plants representative said that they had a crop of onions that actually didn't make it the first time. So it may be that something about the weather, the climate, crazy, you know, rain or whatever kept the first crop that comes to us in the form of sets. That's what I plant. I don't plant the seeds from, from making it. So now I'm thinking maybe I should start 
Maybe I should work with seeds and try to get my own onions going. Exactly. You know, another year of this, and we will sure be focused on because we need onions every year, whether they did well at Bonnie Plants or not. Yeah, and that, you know, I might be able to, who's to say I can control the conditions better than they can? I've actually been to Bonnie Plants. We both have toured that place, yeah, and it's incredible. If they can't make it work, probably I can't either. But at least, you know, it's part of being resilient, right? We try different yeah. things. All right, you mentioned brassicas, but we haven't really laid out the approach we take to brassicas, so spend a minute focusing on that. Okay, uh, the approach we take <laughs> is to plant the coal crops or the brassica family. You know, we have collard greens and Brussels sprouts and um, kale. cabbage, kale, uh, rutabaga, you know, kohlrabi. some of those. Kohlrabi. Yeah, kohlrabi um, in the fall. And I may have left something out, but the point is you get the picture. And um, broccoli, don't want to leave that out. I do love broccoli. And um, we typically do have problems enough with insects in the time I'm planting them that we need to cover them with row cover. We neglected to do that when we put out the first tranche of those plants because I think we were going on vacation. We got busy. And got very concerned about it, and you basically wrote them off, but I noticed they're looking great yeah. now. Well, I'll tell you why I wrote them off, because I realized the insects were already, because we had cabbage worms, and we talked about that a couple of weeks ago. They were already on the plants. I thought all I would do by putting row cover on them now is to enclose those cabbage worms in with the, <laughs> with the plants. <laughs> so there was no sense in doing it. And instead, what I did with those places, like you said, some of them are coming back. You know, there's some more leaf, some foliage coming yeah. on the plants. And I planted a bunch of seed around them last week. I just put some carrots and beets and more lettuce seeds, uh, just kind of blanketing the area around those plants, thinking, okay, maybe something will come up. Because even though, yes, I'm past the time that the recommended planting dates for seeds of those types of, um, other than radishes, radishes you can pretty much keep going for a while. Um, but I thought, you know, what have I got to lose? I have the seed. It's, it is warm this week. I mean, the, the soil has not frozen. It's, it's, it's probably 50 degrees or above. So we may get some germination. In fact, I see the beets germinating now, so I'm really pleased. And we've spoken before about the joy of harvesting fresh vegetables in the middle of January. We don't have much snow here, but we do have cold weather, and it is fun to go out and harvest collards or kale and bring them in and have them for supper that yeah. night in the dead of winter. Th that's right, and that's one reason we're so interested in maintaining this whole Four Seasons Garden um, idea is to it, yes it's great to preserve food to get you through the winter but how much better to go pick it off the plant and cook it and eat it that night and another thing that um, i'm hopeful about is one set of plants and i may knock on wood as i say this so i don't put the mouth on them but i mentioned all the insect problems with some of the um brassicas I planted, but the Brussels sprouts actually have weathered, the Brussels sprouts and some of the cabbage. Looking really good Yes, have weathered the This may be our best year bugs. ever for Brussels sprouts. Yes, and in the past, I'd always, when I planted my Brussels sprouts, thought, okay, January we'll be eating sprouts, and usually it's more like March, but I'm hoping this year, because they seem to be getting off to such a good start, that maybe that's another fun 
meal event we will have in January. You can, you're, you're just dangling that before my eyes. Now you're going to have me primed for Brussels sprouts in January. Right. Because we do love Brussels sprouts. It's one of our favorites. Okay, so now we're talking about what happens in the dead of winter. And then we transition into that spring season that for us is always a lot of fun. It's a lot of work. February and March are busy times for us here because in February we do a lot of pruning on the fruit trees, which we can talk about another time. Uh, But then in March and April... That's when the asparagus begins to come in. Right. The, and our, I guess maybe more April and May. Than probably March and April. April. I'd say April is good yeah. for us. And looking out there at the plants, the, of course, they're gone to fern now, and they're still looking great, um, looking nice and healthy. And some mm. of the fronds are, are yellowing and turning brown, and it'll be yeah. time to clip those. It, I, I need to bush hog them and, and mulch them over, and I will do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but... When you say bush hog, you're you're not talking about taking a tractor and bush hogging. You're talking about you know you're right. I'll probably them. just use the hedge trimmer right. to bring them down, which is what we did last year, and it we had the desired result. We had the spears coming up um, in the spring. So and and last spring we've talked about what a strange spring it was, and we didn't get as much asparagus as in as um, in a two week period as we thought we would. We do hope that next year we'll have be able to harvest asparagus for four weeks. That's what we're it. supposed to be able to do. We'll see. We'll be in our third year then. And then we've got spring peas. Right. Now, you'll have to plant those typically February Well, or so? that's an interesting thing, and I haven't told you this yet about. The other day, uh, several friends and I were up at the um, working volunteer work at the extension office in Wetupka as master gardeners, and um, we're trying, experimenting with planting some spring peas now. But Ooh. yes, and, and do you remember we when we went to the Tallapoosa Master Gardeners group back in August, uh-huh. and someone there said she plants her spring peas in the wintertime, and they overwinter, and I thought, I've never heard of such. Uh, what a great idea. Yes. Let's try it. But what I've been doing in the past, and so we decided we're going to experiment now, but I've been planting them in February and having great results, because by the time the weather warms up and um, you're ready, you don't have to worry about it freezing anymore, you've got peas spring peas but how much better to even do this and especially if we have another mild winter as we did before you never yeah, know what we might give get a lot of extra root growth which we yes, know will is good their development yes. so i'm all for it let's try good. it yeah good i guess that means we'll need to go ahead and put trellis in yes place. it does i mean i think that's the the issue the good news is hopefully we won't have as many weeds because one of the things i really have to work with in the springtime when I plant the peas. And it, even when doing it in February, I mean, almost every year that I haven't mulched when I planted the peas, I plant the peas, and by the time they come up, so have the weeds. Yeah. So now I'm hoping if I do it in the winter, the plant can come up and get established, and then I mulch around the mulch plant. mulch around the plants. What uh-huh. a, oh, I li- I'm liking this more and more so, the more we talk about it. What so a great idea. Let's, we will keep you let's posted. Let's hope that will work. We will keep you posted because about Because you're that absolutely right. The, the big issue with spring peas is as they are coming up, so are the weeds. So. so we'll we'll try that. Um, now, if we were to have a hard freeze or a severe winter, that might all go out the win- window. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, then we want to look at the heat-loving veg when we put that in. And that would be after, let's say we, whenever they're planted, the spring peas are harvested usually in early spring, mm-hmm. um, April or so. And, and they don't like hot weather. So once those plants, it starts to turn hot, they will be gone. 
And usually I pull those up and I plant field peas or some other crop in their place. Um, And that'll leave room, of course, for planting okra and tomatoes and bell peppers and hot peppers and eggplant and the list goes on. And historically, customarily, we plant the heat-loving veg sometime around Good Friday, but you and I are much more flexible than that. We tend to plant a little before Good Friday, a little after Good Friday, just depending on when we can get out there. And we're no longer interested in waiting until Good Friday to plant the heat-loving veg. Once we can get past that last frost, we're ready to go in the ground. So, yeah. um, And one more thing about the vegetable garden. Um, people who've listened to our podcast in the past will realize that we're big advocates of using cover crops. So this another thing that's happened within the past week is that I have planted my lupin in the, in the beds. Um, that's the cover crop, the winter cover crop that we're choosing to use for this year. And uh, for various reasons, it will be a, a great source of, it'll fix nitrogen. One, because we were able to get it. Yes, and uh, a shout out to Dr. Edzard Van Santen, who has been so helpful in our lupin project over the years and black oats and really all, all our cover cropping. He's been a great source of advice and lupin seed. Uh, but anyway, I got the, the beds that we know we're not using during the wintertime we'll, are covered and will be um, building up the soil and make, getting it ready for spring planting. And uh, so let's talk just a moment here. We're about out of time, but just to briefly about the fruit side of this, my little domain. The orchard really does shut down during the dead of winter, but it takes a long time to shut down. And through a series of, of crops, which we don't need to go into right now, we're basically harvesting fresh fruit from March through November. Well, we could take a quick avenue down there because the strawberries, which are one of the first ones, actually start out in the vegetable garden. Yeah. The strawberries are out there. But I take credit for the strawberries you should as, take as part of the fruit. Well, you should. So the but strawberries that starts start in March. in March and April, right. and then we've got blueberries and blackberries in May and June. The figs and the plums take over in June and July. Apples following closely by them, and the apples will be bearing straight through October. Then we've got the pears starting in August, and the, then the muscadines. The muscadines just bear and bear and bear and bear. We've got about a two-month um, bearing season now, two months plus for our muscadines, and that's great. And then the last ones are the persimmons, and they finish out the season for us. We are still harvesting persimmons now in, in early November. So um, it's, you know, that's working well. Citrus we have not yet planted, but we hope to plant in the early spring this year. We really don't know what to expect. We've done some preliminary research, and I think you learned that if, if anything, things kind of slow down in the winter, not, don't necessarily stop bearing, but they'll slow down. So. And we don't know about the effect of freeze because I'm, some of the sources I'm reading say, oh, you'll want to be sure and pick your fruit before the first frost. And, of course, we're talking about planting most of ours in a microclimate bed. So even if there is a freeze everywhere else, it may not affect those plants. Yeah, we, we think we get credit for at least half a zone of warming from planting on the south side of the lodge up the hill from us and um, maybe even a full zone. So that would make a huge difference and to that situation. what I'm reading in Zone 9 are people saying uh, just it'll go on through the winter. 
But anyway, we will. That's all in the future, and we'll tell you more about that. And we haven't even begun to talk about the pecan tree project, <laughs> which that that's a future podcast as well. Well, we hope you have a good week. We thank you for being with us, and we'll catch up with you next time. You've been listening to Longleaf Breeze with Lee and Amanda Borden. You can call the farm at 334-625-8682. Send email to letters at longleafbreeze.com. Our address is P.O. Box 780-446, Tallahassee, Alabama, 36078. Visit us at longleafbreeze.com to learn more about the farm, to browse our archive, and to look over our planting database. You can also read the daily farm log and check in with Lee and Amanda. That's longleafbreeze.com.